question for you. What is the Christian life to you? What is the Christian life? Is it simply about, you know, doing the best we can, knowing that, you know, we're kind of disappointing God on a regular basis, and so we need him to forgive us of our sins and so that we can go to heaven and be with him for eternity? Is that kind of what we think? Is that kind of what we believe? I mean, the gospel does tell us that sin doesn't have to control where you go when you die. That, you know, if you would pray and if you would invite Jesus into your life and and in faith trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would get to go to heaven. But here's the reality. For many, many people, that's all there is to the gospel or to the good news. That's all there is for many people and their Christian experience. But the apostle says, no, 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 no. That's only part of the Christian life. What is the Christian life? That's only part of it. In fact, that's a small part of it. Sin doesn't have to control where you go when you die, but sin also does not have to control what you do while you live. See, that was Paul's amazing message to us. Sin doesn't have to control what you do while you live. And he explains it in technical terms throughout the New Testament. And he basically tells us, to boil it down, he says, you and I can actually live free from the power of sin in our life. His point is sin doesn't have to control where you go when you die, and sin doesn't have to control what you do while you live. But for many of us, it does, doesn't it? For many of us, sin still does control what we do. Paul described it this way. Before he figured out the solution that we're talking about in this series, before he figured out the solution, Paul described the struggle with this thing that we call sin like this. He said this, Romans 7, 19, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Raise your hand if you can relate to that. We can all relate to that, right? Man, we're like, man, that is my life. We've lived that. And if you've ever wondered, well, then why don't I just stop doing it? I mean, have you ever wondered that? You do a whole bunch of things you don't want to do? Well, then just stop. I mean, come on, let's just stop, right? And yet you keep doing it. Why? See, Paul gives us an explanation as to the why. And he says this. He says in Romans 7.20, he says, If I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is what? It is sin living in me. Now, we're going to say that word sin a whole bunch this morning. I know some of you, maybe today's your first time at church in a long time. You're like, this is why I don't go to church. <laughs> it's like, that's all I ever hear in, that, in the church world. But hang with me because we're learning something that we don't always understand. Because again, you do things, I do things I don't want to do. And what I want to do, I don't do. And Paul, what he does, he says, let me try to explain why. Let me explain why you do it. And then let me help you out of that. So that's why I encourage you to, to hang with us. And we've been doing this series and it's kind of deep and theological and you've done amazing and we'll wrap it up next week. But that's what Paul's taken us to. And so what he talked about is he told us and he said, I want to give you the explanation of where that internal battle comes from. And he argues that you and I, this is what we looked at the first week. He argues that we wrestle with this, this thing in us and it's called sin And we wrestle with it because it originally entered into the world through a guy named Adam. 
And so all these balls, this is all of us, they're little smiley faces, and this is all of us. He said, Paul said, legally, you and I, because we're part of the human race, it's a legal idea, a legal term, you and I are all in Adam. We were born into our sin, essentially, and so it's in us, it's always been there, which means Adam's sin was passed on us, which means he's saying this sin, this thing that he called sin, he said this thing called sin is like a disease, it's like a sickness, it's like an it, it's like a power that, that it has this power over us. And then Paul said this, he said, Jesus Christ came along, and those of you who were in Adam, if you would place your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would be taken out of Adam and you would be placed into Jesus Christ. That if you surrender your life to him, if you believe in faith that Jesus saved you from this thing called sin, that you could be placed into Christ, all of us, taken out of Adam, taken away from our sin, placed into Christ. That's what he was describing for us. And he said this, he said, when you were placed in Christ, what is true and was true of Jesus now gets to become true of you and I. What's true of Jesus gets to become true of us. And so you and I can actually live free from this thing that he called sin. We can live free from the power of sin. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins and he broke the power of sin in our life. And that's what he was arguing about that we talked about last week in Romans 6 when he said you and I were placed into Christ and you may not know this, but Paul was telling all of us that the power of sin has been removed. It's been broken in our life. The power of it has been broken because before when we were here, I do all the things I don't want to do. But in Christ, that that power to do the things I don't want to do has been broken. So that's the concept he's giving us. And we compared it to an international adoption of a child from an orphanage. And the idea, this, this deep theological principle, we said it's like when a little boy or a little girl is taken out of a country, out of a nation, out of a state, out of an orphanage, and they are placed into a new family. And when they are placed into that new family, immediately with a stroke of a pen, that, origin, that, or, that country, that state, that nation, that orphanage, the people at that orphanage, instantly they lose their power, their authority over that child, because that child's now placed into a new family, and now that child has all the benefits of that new family. That was kind of the image. That's, that's kind of what we're describing. That the orphan, none of that matters anymore. And some of you have been adopted internationally. Some of you have adopted internationally. And so you get this more so than others. You're like, I totally get it. This is my new life. That, that, was, that was then. This is my new life. And then so in the same way, Paul's arguing, you and I were taken out of Adam. We were placed into Christ. It's a legal transaction. So what's true of Christ is true of you and I. Therefore, sin no longer has power in our lives like it did when we were in Adam. One of the things I did last week is I gave you some homework. Any of you try it? Awesome. A bunch of you guys tried it. In fact, Gary, thanks for the great text, man. That was powerful. Oh, I was going to share it this morning. Okay, that was was a great text. You just reminded me of that. Uh, Some of you guys did that. Someone after first service came up to me and said, man, I was saying it so much this week, I kind of got sick of saying it. Good. That was kind of where we were taking you. And how many times did I ask you to say it? 100 times a day. 
That sin is not my master. Say, sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. And so I ask you to say that every single day so that when you got into a situation and you were tempted or a struggle came your way or sin was getting ready to come your way, and right before you're getting ready to travel down that path and sin or do whatever it was, I ask you to pause and to whisper and to say, sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin but I'm alive to God. And then I said, at that point, you can go ahead and sin if you want to. The first time a pastor's ever given you permission to sin. You can go ahead and sin if you want to, but just remember, you don't have to. And for some of you, that was profound this week. And you found yourself in that situation that normally you just pursue that sin. And all of a sudden you realize, you whisper, sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. And you realize in that moment, I could sin right now, but I don't have to anymore. The power's been broken. And some of you have had some amazing victories. And so thank you for sharing that with me. And so if sin is no longer our master, And if we are dead to sin, some of us are still asking the question, how do I live that out? How do I take the next step? I mean, living as a slave to sin takes no effort on our parts, right? That's easy. That just comes natural to us. That's that whole in Adam thing, right? But what about living not as a slave to sin where sin isn't my master, How do I get to the point where I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ? How do I stay dead to sin? Well, Paul tells us. I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And just FYI, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, someone just told me that uh, some of the notes are out of order and everything, so you're going to kind of have to jump around once you get further in the message. But Romans 6. We've been saying this is a confusing topic. It's kind of hard to track, but I love that you guys have been hanging with me, and, and a lot of you by your texts, emails, and calls, it seems like you're, you're grasping what Paul's saying, and he's going to try to clear it up even more for us today, and today I'm going to tell you in advance, I don't normally do this, I'm telling you in advance these three words that we want to hold on to throughout, and then it'll kind of help us make sense of where we're going. Here's the three words. How do you stay dead to sin? You declare, you decide, and you devote. How do you stay dead to sin? You declare, you decide, and you devote. So let's look at it. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. And Paul says this. He says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. See, once you die and are raised from the dead, you, you don't get to die again. It's done. That's, what, that's the power of Jesus. Death no longer has mastery over him. In other words, Jesus conquered death. Verse 10. The death he died... He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, I don't want you to forget what we said. Remember what we said. We said, when Adam sinned, on the tail of sin, on the heels of sin, is always this thing called death. And on the tail of sin is always death. So by Jesus dying for our sin and being raised from the dead, that power of sin is broken. That power of death is broken. When Jesus came back to life, sin no longer had a hold, no longer had a grasp, no longer had an attachment. Sin no longer had power. That's what he's talking about. And that's kind of where we left off last week by saying, Romans 6, 11, in the same way that this happened with Jesus, verse 11, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Jesus Christ, or to God in Jesus Christ. Just like that was true of Jesus, it's true of us, so how about we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. 
Now, that's where we're headed this morning, and that's what we're going to be talking about, still with some theological truth, but we're going to get a little bit practical through it. When he says, count yourself dead to sin, what does that mean? What does that mean, count yourself? If, first of all, the word count is very important. It means to consider, to accept, to believe, to factor in. The word we're going to use this morning is declare, that we're going to... Con- to declare. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying to you and I, as we begin to understand the significance of what happened to all of us when Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and he conquered the power of sin, as we begin to understand that, our first step is we need to declare that that's true. Believe that that's true. Know that that's true. Accept that. That's that word count. Factor that in to your life. And regardless if you've experienced that truth or not, the first step is believe, declare, declare. It's true. Declare this, what we've been saying, sin is not my master. I think you did it this week, but I'm going to make sure we did do it. So let's do it one more time together. We're going to say, sin is not my master. Let's say it together out loud one more time. One, two, three. Sin is not my master. Because see, here's what will happen today. It happened to you last week. It will happen today. That thing, sin, the it, the disease, the sickness, that thing wants to control you, and it wants to rise up, and and as we leave this place today, you are going to be tempted, and I'm going to be tempted, and it's going to want to rise up, and so that thing, sin, that lust, that greed, that, that selfish ambition, that jealousy, that anger, whatever it is, you will want to act on it. And right before you act on it, we're just saying, hey, whisper. We don't have to, because sin is not my master. And then Paul goes on, he says, so you believe that, you declare that. Sin is not my master. And then he went on, he said, since sin is not my master, and since we are going to begin considering ourselves or counting ourselves or reckoning ourselves dead to sin, he says, we're going to declare ourselves dead to sin. Then he says this, look at verse 12. As you count yourself dead to sin, then he said, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. That's actually a pretty powerful idea he's talking about. If you and I are in Christ, we're no longer in Adam. If we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we're in Christ. What's true of Jesus is true of us. If that's the case, sin is no longer our master. Then I, then I want you to realize what Paul is saying that is that when you or I let sin reign, when we let sin happen in our life, when we say yes to sin, look what Paul, the word Paul used. He said, therefore, do not let sin what? Do not let sin reign. And when you and I say yes to sin as a Jesus follower, Paul's saying, you're letting sin reign in your life. You're letting it reign. Did you know that? No, I just thought I was sinning. Just, I just kind of messed up. I just kind of, you know, didn't do the right thing. No, no, Paul's saying, you're letting it rain in your life. Because Paul said, once you give your life to Christ, you're in Christ. Sin is, has no longer has power over you. You don't, let to, you don't have to let it rain in your life. Notice he said the phrase, do not let it, or do not let sin, because it's an it, it's a thing, rain in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. It's a thing, it's this disease, it's this sickness, it's a, it's a noun, it's not just a verb that we sin, it's something that's there, and he said, don't let it be in your life, don't let it reign in your life. And I want to help you with this, I really do. 
I don't want it to just be theological because this is so important. So to move our discussion forward, I want to ask you a question to kind of help us with this. When you wrestle with sin, and again, like I mentioned earlier, some of us are like, man, this, this is just way too much. I've heard enough sin for 30 years. I don't even hear, hear the word again. Okay, I understand, but this is just this is why the power of the gospel is so powerful because the bad news is so bad, right? But if you don't want to use the word sin, no problem. Let's use the word temptation. When you wrestle with sin or when you wrestle with temptation in your life, which side of the argument do you identify with? I want you to think about it. Which side of the argument do you identify with? Whatever your deal is, whatever's going on in that moment of, you know, I know I should, but I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, but I end up doing. When you're in that moment, what side do you identify with? When you're wrestling with it, do you identify from the side of being in Adam? Or do you wrestle from the side of being in Christ? Here's what I mean. If you and I wrestle from the side of being in Adam, here's kind of what happens inside of us. We might find ourselves saying things like, well, nobody's perfect. Well, man, this is just, this is, this is my thing. This is the thing that I'm just super susceptible to. Or, you know, this is how my mom was. This is how her mom was. This is how my dad was. This is how my dad was. This is how my family life was. I have this issue. I just can't really help it. Or we say things like, well, you know, all men are alike. It's just natural. This is just normal. This is just kind of what we do. Maybe you're, you know, a senior in high school. Well, you know, seniors is what seniors do. Head off to college and well, it's freshman year, and you know, that's a freshman for you. And this is, I, I, I can't help it. This is who I see what happens, see what we're talking about. When you argue from the standpoint of being in Adam, you're basically arguing from the place of still being in sin, who you used to be. And we sang the song, I am who you say I am. And that's what he's talking about. But we still argue oftentimes from being in Adam. And if you and I are still believing who we used to be, if we're arguing from the place of still being in Adam, when we are in that temptation, when we are in that moment, if that's the place you argue from, you will lose every time. Every time. You may have a momentary victory over a temptation or something in a moment, but the, the war, the battle, you'll lose. Because you're identifying with somebody you aren't anymore. You're identifying with sin as opposed to the righteousness of God. I don't know if that's making sense. I don't know if some of you, I hope we're tracking with this. Because the other side of the equation is, if you will, the sin, this temptation that comes your way, if you will attack it from the place of who you are now in Jesus Christ, it looks totally different. That battle looks different. All of a sudden, there's this, okay, you're in this struggle, and it's coming your way, and you're sensing it, and you're feeling with it, and a conversation inside of you isn't, well, that's who I always am. I can't help it. This is, you know, I'm destined for that. Instead of that, all of a sudden, you're saying, oh, you know something? Sin's coming trying to rule me right now. Oh, wait a second. Sin's trying to conquer me right now. I can sense it. I can feel it. This sin, this thing, it, it thinks it has power over my life right now. I know that in the shadow of sin, if I go down this path, I know in the shadow of sin is death. And I've had enough death in my life. I've destroyed enough things in my life, enough death in my marriage, enough death in my relationships, enough death at my jobs, enough death in my finances. I've had enough of death. 
Why am I going to embrace this right now? Why am I going to continue down this path? Why am I going to continue to take, do something that's going to hurt me? I've been set free from sin. I am in Christ. Sin no longer has power over me. I am free to live. Is that making sense? Now, I get it. Some of you are like, that's kind of strange. And some of you might even be thinking, oh, you know, that just sounds like Christian psychology. If you want to view it that way, you can. But just know if that's where you're going to kind of land, it's not going to help you. And you'll miss out on the deep power of what Paul's talking about. Here's my point. When you find yourself in this raging battle, there it is again. Here it comes again. It's coming at me again. In that moment, you get to choose. And the side of the argument by which you argue from will determine the outcome. The side you argue from inside will determine the outcome of what happens in your life in that moment. And as long as you identify with, I'm a sinner, I can't help it, nobody's perfect, this is the way men are, this is the way women are, this is how my father was, this is how my mother was, this is where I grew up. As long as you identify with who you used to be, you will continue to behave as you've always behaved. But God invites us to something new. And so Paul says, Romans 6.12, look what he says, first four words. Therefore, do not let. Therefore, do not let. In other words, what he's saying is you and I have a choice. You and I can say no to sin. Why? The power of sin's been broken in our life because what Jesus did on the cross. So Paul says, and here's our second word this morning, decide. Decide you are not going to let sin rule your life. You declare sin is not my master, and then you go to the next step and say, okay, so I'm deciding I'm not letting sin rule my life. I'm deciding, I'm making a decision that sin will not rule. I've had enough death in my life. I'm, deci I'm deciding I'm in Christ. And then he goes on, and here's where he starts getting into it. He says, therefore, Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Do not offer any, what's the word? Do not offer any. Part. That word part literally means our body parts. Okay, so track with me, hang with me here. Do not offer any of your body parts because we do this all the time, don't we? Paul's actually kind of graphic here in this imagery. He's saying, all right, come on, guys, come on, guys. You see that woman. You see that woman and, and sin says to you like, hey, I'd like to borrow your eyes right now. And we say, sure, no problem. They're yours. And so sin borrows our eyes. Sin says, I want to borrow your feet because I want you to go over there and do that. And we say, sure, sin, no problem. Take my feet and I'll head over there and I'll do that. And I'll go down that path. You have a situation, it's not going well. Sin says, I want to borrow your mouth right now. I want you to let them have it. I want you to lay into them. Sure, sin, no problem. You can have my mouth. I know it's going to bring death to my relationship with my kids, my boss, my coworker, my spouse. Sure, sin, you can have my mouth. Here's what Paul's saying, and it's so powerful. He's saying no to sin, no to sin, no sin. You can't have my ears, my eyes, my feet, my mouth. No sin. I've decided you can't have them. I've decided sin, you can't have my heart. I've decided sin, you can't have my mind. Sin will not be my master. You cannot have any body part of mine. 
I have had enough of death. I'm not bringing more death into my life. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Look at verse 13, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's saying instead of offering your physical members of all that you are to sin, how about we just offer it to God? See, that's what God's saying. You have a choice. Are you going to offer what I've given you to me? Because when you were in Adam, you didn't have a choice. You were sinning. It's super easy. It's happening. But you've all been placed into Christ. You don't have to go down that path anymore. You don't have to offer your body, your body parts as instruments of wickedness, but instruments of righteousness. And so he says it this way, Romans 6.13, offer every what? Offer every? Offer every? Part. Body parts. Eyes, ears, nose, feet, hands, mouth, mind, heart. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And that's our third word, devote. Devote your body to God. And again, if you're using you version, it's in there somewhere. Devote your body to God. Let me help you with this. Practically speaking, let me tell you how this could play out. You have a choice every single day when you wake up what to do with your time, right? Every, every day you can jump on the phone, email, social media, watch news, whatever the case may be. I would encourage you to start your day off in prayer. Talking to God. If the word prayer is kind of weird to you, just talking to God, having a conversation with God. Maybe continue that conversation if you're, if you're traveling to work, if your work isn't in your home, if you're traveling to work, continue the conversation. And you say something like this. You say, God, I give you my hands. Because at some point today, sin is going to ask for my hands. So God, I give you my hands today. I'm devoting my hands to you. God, I'm offering you my eyes today because I know at some point my eyes are going to want to take me somewhere that I know I don't want to go. Sin's going to come and it's going to try to take my eyes somewhere. And so, God, I am offering my eyes. I'm devoting my eyes to you today. God, today I'm devoting my feet to you because at some point sin's going to want to take me somewhere that I do want to go, but I don't want to go. And when it wants to take me there, I'm going to remember that I've already, today when I woke up and I talked about it, God, I've already devoted my feet to you and my arms and my mind, and I'm going to triple devote my mouth to you, God. Because I know while my mouth can do some good things and say some good things, it also has the ability to completely destroy others. And so, God, I devote my mouth to you. Just try it. Why not? Because I know when we operate in the in-Adam version of this, I'm going to try harder, try harder, try harder, just do it myself. It doesn't really work out. But when you go to God and you say, God, here you go. I am going to declare something. Sin is not my master. I'm going to decide I will not let sin reign in my life. And I'm going to devote my physical body parts, all that I am, to God. If you do it, it has the potential to change your entire life, your entire world. So say, sin is not my master. I'm not going to let it rule over me. And God, I devote my body to you. Now let me bring it home with one more verse in this verse, because Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament. If you start reading, we're going to go to Colossians 3.2. This morning as I was preparing and, and another verse came to mind, you can read it this week. Go read, I didn't have time to add it in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses like 1 through 10. 
You reread that in light of everything you now know. Super cool verse. Meditate, that on, this, meditate on that this week. But Colossians 3.2, same concept. Look what he says. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's the devote part. Set it on, on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Does that verse all of a sudden make a whole lot more sense than it ever did to you? Absolutely. You're like, hey, I get what that means now. And then he says this, and here's the key. When Christ, who is your what? When Christ, who is your? When Christ, who is your? When he appears, then you also appear with him in glory. This is a huge theological idea that he's talking about, but it's everything. He's actually saying, listen to this, you can't initiate anything. I can't initiate anything. You can't imitate Jesus. Only Jesus can imitate Jesus. You can't live the Christian life. I can't live the Christian life. Only Jesus can live the Christian life. Christ, who is your life. That's meaning that we are going to begin to allow Christ to live in us and through us. And gang, that is the essence of the Christian life. Do you realize that? The essence of our life is allowing Christ, the hope of glory, the Bible says, to live through us. Man, that's, that's no more striving living in Adam. That's letting Christ live through us. And as long as I'm striving and trying to do it my way, and hey, I got to be perfect, and I got this list, and there's rules, and the Ten Commandments, and all this stuff, man, it's going to keep being the struggle, because all that is, is trying to live the Christian life in Adam. She's like, no, I got a way better way. Christ is your life. Let him live through you. So, you'll be tempted every day. But every day, you and I have the freedom to devote ourselves to God, our body, our minds, our souls, heart, everything. We have a new master. So you give it all to him. It's a completely different way to live the Christian life, isn't it? I mean, when you start really thinking about this, it takes some getting used to, but it will change your life. And I got to tell you, as we wrap up this morning, next week we'll finish off the series. And next week, we're going to talk about one of the most powerful and misunderstood, and I think one of the more transitional verses in the entire New Testament. And what we're going to talk about is going to be the key that takes everything we've talked about, that we've laid this framework, this massive, huge theological framework that we've tried to break down, that theologians have been talking about for 2,000 years. We've tried to take this massive thing, and next week, we're going to hopefully and prayerfully, God's going to bring it together, and it will give you and I the opportunity to, as Christ is our life, as he lives his life through us, it will finally give us the opportunity to set us free. And I got to tell you, there's nothing I want more than be set free to live the life that Jesus has for me. You don't want to miss next week. But for now, you're dead to sin. So how do you stay dead? You just start off every day declaring sin is not my master. You declare it. You believe it. You decide. I'm not going to let sin reign in my mortal body because instead I'm going to God and I say, God, here you go. I devote all my body, all my body parts, all members of my body to you. And I know, God, I can't do it, but it's Christ in me who lives it out. That's how you stay dead to sin and alive to God.